So the reading is from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15. Freedom from human regulations through life with Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with, thanks, with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, and with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. If you want to pick up your Bibles, we'll be looking at that section from Colossians 2 that Nikki read for us just a moment ago. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we've just sung, please would you change our hearts. Please would you help us to see more of Jesus this evening so that we keep on growing and stick closer to him. And we ask this in his name for your glory. Amen. I learned something recently about bonsai trees. You know, bonsai trees, the little Japanese miniature trees. Um, they are not a special kind of tree that stays small naturally. I don't know why I'd ever thought that they were, but they're just normal trees. They're normal trees whose growth has been deliberately interrupted. So getting a, a little seedling to grow to the height that you want it, and then you uproot it and you prune it. You don't prune the top, you prune the roots. You chop some of the main ones off and you thin it all out, and then you replant it somewhere else in different soil, normally a bit shallower, a bit stony, and then the tree will never grow bigger than a foot tall or however small it is that you want it to be. If you'd left it where it was, it would have got massive, but by moving it, you've stopped it getting deep roots and you've kept it cute and tiny. Well, as Christians, we want to grow, don't we? We want to make progress spiritually. We don't want to be a little bonsai tree. We want to be a giant redwood. We want to grow. In fact, we must grow. We've heard stuff from chapter 1 of Colossians about the need to bear fruit and grow. So I suppose the question is, how do we do that? Sometimes we're tempted to think that we will really grow if we move on from where we began. So we might have begun with faith in Jesus, but surely there's something new, something more that we need to really grow. And this section that we're looking at today 
tells us that that is not true. Why, actually, if we move on from where we started, that's going to end up making us like a tiny little bonsai tree where we won't ever grow, whereas if we'd stay where we were, we could be a mighty oak. The way that we grow is this. Continue where you started in Christ. Continue where you started in Christ. Let's see that in chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. We sometimes say, don't we, start as you mean to go on. This is that, but in reverse. It's go on as you started. Continue where you started, which is in Christ. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are probably the key verses for the whole book. So why not learn those? They, are, they really are great verses to learn. They sum up this whole message of Colossians and they lay out how to grow. We need to continue in Christ just like we began. The way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. Jesus is not just a good starting point, a springboard onto something else. No, Jesus is it. The gospel is not the introductory course. You know, you've got to do that, but really so you can move on to level two where it's something else. No, the gospel is the whole syllabus. <laughs> the gospel is the whole thing. We continue the way we started in Christ. But to continue where you started isn't a static thing. It's not saying just stay put. No, it's an active thing. It's, it's all like there's a spot on the ground and, and Paul in this letter is saying, no, just stand on that spot and don't move. No, it's more like a road. And he's saying, continue on this path. Don't move off that path. So keep making progress, but you're making progress there. The bit where it says, live your lives in him, in verse 6, is more literally the word walk. Walk in him. Making progress, moving forwards, walking, but it's in him, it's in Jesus, it's not branching off somewhere else. We get the same idea in verse 7, where it talks about being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So to be rooted... Unless somebody wants to stunt your growth and turn you into a bonsai tree, if you, if you stay rooted, then you will get bigger. If you leave a tree where it is, it will grow. Plants do that, don't they? Plants stick in one place. And they don't do that because they're dead. They stay in one place because that's how they grow. They're planted in good soil. The roots go down to get into the goodness. Well, if you are a Christian... You are rooted. You have your roots firmly placed and planted in Christ. And there is no richer soil in which to grow than in Christ. So don't move anywhere else. Continue in him, rooted in him. Rooted and built up in him. So moving from the garden into the house, if you like. Just like a plant doesn't wander off, a house doesn't move from its foundations. Instead, it gets built up. You don't get the construction workers spending months on the groundwork only to start building the thing half a mile down the road. No, you finish building the building in the same place that you started building the building. 
they say the three big things about property, location, 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 don't they? Well, we have prime location in Christ. So don't go anywhere else. You're built up, not over there, not over there, but here where you started in Christ. Strengthened in the faith. There's another active word, isn't it? Strengthened, growing, deepening, bolstering. And again, it is in Christ. What we're being strengthened in is the faith as you were taught. So not some new teaching, not some clever new idea, the unchanging news about Jesus. So you see the dynamic here. We need to continue, we need to build, we need to strengthen. But the only way to do that is to continue where you started in Christ. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Paul is taking them back to the start. How did you receive Jesus? Was it by being a good person? Was it by following some rules? No. You came as a sinner and Christ forgave you. You received Christ. You didn't earn him. Was it by having some incredible spiritual experience? No, it, it might have been an amazing moment. It might have been a much more subtle thing. It might have taken a long time. But either way, you became a Christian not by what you experienced, but by what he experienced. It was him dying and rising which saved you. Believing in that truth is what did it. So that's what we stick with. Did you receive Jesus by discovering some new information only accessible to the few or joining a secret club? No. Chapter 1, verse 23, it was by faith in the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Rules, experiences, extra knowledge. We're going to tackle those things in more detail next week when we're warned about them specifically. But none of that is how you came to Christ. And so you don't need it now. You didn't start that way. So don't continue that way. You began with the gospel. The true message which we heard. Remember that, chapter 1, verse 5. Which we understood, verse 6. Which we learned, verse 7. Which we received in this passage. Just as you received him by accepting that news that he is Lord, so continue in him. So are we doing that? Are we continuing to believe the gospel? Continuing to repent of sin, live with him as Lord? The great preacher Charles Spurgeon spoke of our need to dwell where the cries of Calvary can be heard. Do not move off somewhere else, away from that beautiful sound of the gospel. But to dwell where the cries of Calvary can be heard, to stick close to where the gospel is. And as we do that, we will overflow with thankfulness. The more we grasp the gospel, the more thankful we will be. So in the end of there, in verse 7, that's not just tacking on an extra command. Oh, and on top of all this, you've got to be grateful. No, all our living in Christ is an overflow of thanks for what we've received in him. How many people who love their jobs 
spend time down the job centre looking for a new one? How many happily married people set up a dating profile? Once you've bought a decent car, how much time do you spend on boring car comparison websites? None. Because if you are thankful for what you have, you stop looking elsewhere. And so we overflow with thanks as we continue where we started in Christ. Now we need to be told this. We need to be told this because there is a danger that we might not, that we might move on from Christ. And it's a danger we're warned about in verse 8 where we are told, don't get kidnapped by lies. Don't get kidnapped by lies. See that in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's a really striking image. Imagine shouting that to your kids as they leave the house. Have a nice time. Call me when you get there. Don't get taken captive. You're like, wow, is that a danger? Is that a real danger? Well, Paul seems to think that that is a real danger. This picture of an enemy sweeping through, carrying people off. We were talking about it. Richard was praying about it earlier, wasn't he? People who actually face genuine physical kidnapping. And Paul is saying something very much like that is a risk for all of us being taken captive, the opposite of what Jesus does, which is rescue us and set us free. We need to watch out for that. Be careful. Don't let that happen to you. Well, how might that happen? What, what is it that might kidnap us? Lies. Don't get kidnapped by lies. In verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So not so much philosophy as we might think of it, you know, Plato and Socrates and that kind of thing. Just ideas, theories, ways of understanding the world. From time to time, uh, new ideas sweep through, don't they? New ideas, new ways of understanding things, fads in theology or politics or just culture or whatever. And we are told that we need to move with the times. We need to embrace these things. And so all that simple gospel stuff, yeah, 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 I, I get it, but let's grow up. Come on, everybody. Let's get past that. Let's get into the deeper things. No, we've got to beware and not get kidnapped by lies. Far from being harmless, many of those ideas would take us captive, carry us away from Jesus. Or to use the picture from earlier, they would uproot us from Christ and plant us somewhere else where we will not grow. Now this is written to solid Christians. Let me see that in, in chapter 2, verse 5. He talks about how pleased, how much I'm delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, he goes on to make this warning. So actually, this is written to solid Christians. We might think, oh, there's no way I would fall for any kind of lie that would take me away from Jesus. But these things are persuasive things. Verse 4, last week, called them fine-sounding arguments. Next week, we'll see in verse 23, they have an appearance of wisdom. These are plausible ideas, plausible-sounding ideas for how we might grow as Christians. But ultimately, they are lies. They are deceptive. It's a trick. They're described as hollow. Now, it was... Bram's birthday this week, 
and there was a certain present that he'd been asking for every birthday and Christmas for years. And he knew that there was a chance that this might be the year. <laughs> Comes downstairs, there's not many presents, there's one bigger one, could this be it? Unwraps it, there's the box, it says it there in the big letters, Nintendo. He then opens it up and there's nothing inside, just an empty box. What a horrible trick that'd be. That's not what happened, don't <laughs> worry. That's okay. But it helps us understand, doesn't it, what it means by something being hollow, being empty inside. It promises so much, but it delivers nothing. Jesus will not let us down like that. And it's a lack of Jesus that makes these lies so hollow. The problem with them is that they don't depend on him. You see that in verse 8? That it's hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. These lies are based on tradition. Despite being new and actually a break from the gospel, these things claim to have strong historical precedent. People have done this for years and years and years. All that means really is they've been wrong for a very long time. Tradition isn't always bad. Everybody has traditions. Every church has traditions. It's just the way things have always been done. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. As long as those traditions are based on the truth. And are still helpful in rooting us in that truth. Problems come when tradition itself becomes authoritative. For example, this is where we differ from Catholics. In Catholicism, the traditions of the church have authority alongside the Bible. If anything, tradition is higher because they see the Bible as part of that tradition. But that's not right. We need to rely on truth from God in his word and not just human tradition. And that's a danger even for Baptists, even for those who claim to have no traditions. We absolutely do. <laughs> if they are biblical, fantastic. If on further reflection they are just human ideas, chuck them. Don't be kidnapped by them. What else are these lies based on? Well, on the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world or the basic principles of this world. This could be about a general spirit or principle of people opposed to God. It's just based on those worldly ways of thinking. Or it could be talking about spirits like angels and demons. We know that uh, from the next section, the kidnappers were keen on angels. They liked being seen as spiritual. And all this kind of stuff sounds very advanced and otherworldly, but Paul sort of rips off the mask here and says, no, it's, it's elemental, it is basic, it is easy, it is obvious, it's elementary, my dear Watson, it, it, it's basic stuff, like elementary school in America. This is not the stuff for grown-ups, it's not deep, it is of this world, it is not of Christ. These are any kinds of ideas for how to grow, how to carry on as a Christian, which deny or downplay the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. Anything that makes you think he is not enough, he has not done enough 
There is still more for you to do. There is still more for you to get. That is a lie. If it's not dependent on Christ, you don't have to do it. In fact, watch out. However clever or persuasive or spiritual or traditional something must, might be, we test it, test it, test it. Is this actually based on Jesus? Is this coming from the gospel? Is this leading back to the gospel? Does this help me to treasure Jesus as the source and center of everything? Or is it pulling me away? Is it leading me off the safe road into the alleyways? Is this taking me away from those central gospel things? Or am I actually becoming more and more interested in niche little side avenues? Don't get kidnapped. Stick with Jesus. But you might not be convinced yet. Maybe, why shouldn't I go off into those other things? Why should I continue in Christ? Well, it's because in Christ you have everything. That's what the rest of the passage is trying to outline for us. That in Christ you have everything. That's why we continue in Him. It's because in Him we have it all. The phrase in him, with him, in Christ, on Christ, by Christ, comes about ten times through this passage. It is in Christ that we have everything. Whatever the kidnappers are promising you, Jesus is better. The false teachers likely talked about fullness. That's still a tempting word today. Who wouldn't want fullness? sometimes hear about the full gospel situation. We've got the full gospel. Oh, okay, I've got the half gospel, have I? No, we talk about this. We, we want fullness. It's the opposite of being hollow is to be full, isn't it? It's the real thing, the complete package. Well, if fullness is what you want, you're going to love Jesus. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. There's nothing of God which is not found in Jesus. It's like we read in chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So if anybody's trying to use various means to get more of God, they're barking up the wrong tree. If you want God, you need Christ and only him. Well, okay, we might think, well, Jesus is fully God, great. But maybe the way to get mature or to get closer to him is by doing some stuff keeping some rules doing those things joining that group and Paul stops us there in verse 10 and says no in Christ you have been brought to fullness so not will be or might be or can be or well, depending on this or that you have been brought to fullness it's a quick science question um, if I fill up a cup with water so that it is full, how much more water can I put in? Genuine question. None. Why not? It's full. There we go. It wasn't hard, was it? And when Paul says we have been brought to fullness, he is saying we lack nothing. Don't be part of the Oliver Twist school of Christianity, always asking for more. More? How can you have more than being filled with the whole of God? Christ is full of God. We are full in Christ. There is nowhere else to go 
to know God or grow in God. In Christ, you have everything already. Fullness. You even have circumcision. Now, that might not sound great. Hear me out. (laughs) The false teachers were big on rules. And what better rules than those in the Bible? So they could go to a non-Jewish city like Colossae and say, come on, you Gentiles, I know you believe in Jesus and that's great and everything, but if you want to be really in, well, you need to get circumcised as well. And Paul says that is a lie. Because in Christ, it has already happened. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So what a relief. We don't need to get circumcised because everything circumcision means we have already. Even if you're not Jewish, even if you're not a man, this has happened to you if you've trusted in Jesus. Not just a small part of your body cut off, Our whole self ruled by the flesh has been put off. Our old way of life, where we were in charge, our sinful nature had free reign, that has been surgically removed by Jesus. It is gone now. The old us is dead and buried. Just like when we were baptized in verse 12. That was a picture of going down into the grave, dying with Christ to our old life. There is nothing more we need to do to make a break with our past or set us apart as his. It's been done. The Old Testament ceremonies are no longer required because if you trust in Jesus, he has circumcised you in the only way that really counts. And if that is true of biblical commands like circumcision, how much more so entirely man-made ideas of how we might grow. No, we continue in Christ because it's in him that we have all of, the, all of what that is pointing to. What about life? Life is another great word, isn't it? Life, living, alive. Come with us, they say. Don't stay where you are. That's dead and dull and stale. Our group over here, we are really alive. Some people might literally look at us as Christians sat in church and say, get a life. To which we can say, I have one already, thank you very much. In Christ, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So not only has our old self died, our new self has been raised Just like Jesus, we have life. And that all came when we trusted in Christ, as symbolized in baptism. A decisive change has happened to us. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. We didn't do it for ourselves, God did it to us. We used to be dead, and now he's given us life. Life is not something we work towards. It's something we already have. A living connection to Jesus, fellowship with him in his death and resurrection. You have that already by faith in Jesus. In Christ, you have 
everything, including life. So don't be fooled by people trying to say, oh, if you want life, you need to come over here. You need to go to our conference. You need to read my new book. You need to do this new thing. You need these disciplines. No, if you want life, you have it in Christ. But what about our sins? Where do our sins fit into this? Like a sick person desperate for a cure who will do anything to get well. If there's something that might lead us to try new stuff, it will probably be a sense of guilt. I just need to do something extra to deal with my sin. But we're told here so clearly that Jesus has done it all. In him, we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness. End of verse 13. He forgave us all our sins. All of them. Past, present, future the ones we will admit to others, the ones we're too ashamed to talk about. Not just my sins or their sins, your sins. It is common, I think, for people to try to move beyond forgiveness. As if, speaking of forgiveness, well, that's something just for beginners, really. Or maybe not necessary at all. You know, I, I used to be an evangelical too, and then I sort of grew up a bit. No, forgiveness is right at the heart of the gospel. It is one of the chief blessings that we have. It's something we need to constantly be reminded of, reassured of, brought back to. Praise God tonight that believers in Jesus are forgiven. He forgave us all our sins. How? Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away Nailing it to the cross. This is money language, debt. Some of us might be very familiar with horrible letters laying out just how much we owe. The credit card bill, the mortgage in arrears, the loan that seems to be growing faster than you can pay it off. Well, that is just a glimpse of all of us, of what we were like. Our sin was like that debt. A list of everything we've done which stood against us, condemned us rightly and justly. But we're told here that Jesus has dealt with the debt. He has cancelled the charge. He has taken it away. Imagine your relief having all your bills paid, all your debts gone. Well, Christ has done that. How? In his death on the cross. When a criminal was crucified, their crimes would be written up and pinned above their heads. Just like Pilate put Jesus' crime of claiming to be the king on a written notice above him for all to see. We're told here that our crimes, the written charges against us, were taken away and nailed to the cross. That is where it is paid. The final notice bill, demanding payment. It's taken off our doormat, where it's just plopped down, and put onto his. The IOU can now be torn up or shredded or thrown away because our list of sins is no longer an invoice, but a receipt. It is not something still to pay. It has been paid for 
in full by Christ on the cross. There is forgiveness in Christ. If you haven't yet received this forgiveness, you can do so tonight by putting your trust in him. And if your trust is in Jesus, well, as the old Johnny Cash song says, that old account was settled long ago. Think about the debt. Think about the financial nightmare. Think about my sins. Well, no, that old account was settled long ago. It's done. And so now in Christ, there is victory. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan. A lot of false teaching promises victory, doesn't it? Don't be down in defeat. Come with us. Experience victory. Well, listen to what Jesus did in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The universe is at war. It's in a spiritual battle. Powers and authorities refers to spiritual powers, demonic forces, forces opposing God and us. But Jesus has the victory. Not only will they lose, they have already lost. Verse 10 calls Jesus the head over every power and authority. And he is that because in forgiving our sin, Jesus has disarmed them. Satan means the accuser. He is the one waving the debt, waving it in our faces, going, look at this, look at this, look at what they've done, look at it. And Jesus whips it out of his hand and says, yes, look at this, it says paid on the top. Satan has nothing on us now, he has been disarmed because Jesus has the victory. When the Roman army would celebrate a great victory, they would march their conquered enemy through the city in chains. And that is what has happened to the spiritual opposition. Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross! That is the moment of triumph. Even though Jesus is the one stripped naked and paraded through the streets... Jesus is the one ashamed and laughed at by everybody. And yet in doing that, he has won us the victory. And, and the tables have been completely turned. It's actually in the cross that we see all the powers that are against us. Shamed, made a public spectacle of, made a joke. We need to stop looking for big grand displays of power. And look at the cross. Because it's there that we see victory. It is in Christ that we have everything. Now, if you want to make a bonsai tree, by all means, rip it up from the roots, plant it somewhere else. But if you want it to grow big and strong, leave it where it is. And it's the same with us. If we want to grow, and I take it that we do, we need to continue where we started in Christ. Yes, continue, but continue in Him. Not moving on to bigger and better things. There are no bigger and better things than Jesus. In Him, we have fullness. So there's nothing more to add. In Him, we have circumcision. There's nothing more to do. In Him, 
We have life. There's nothing more we need to be. In Him we have forgiveness. There is nothing more to pay. In Him we have victory. There is nothing more to win. In Christ we have everything. So let's continue in Him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for Jesus. We thank You so much for Him. For His death on the cross. Bringing us forgiveness and life and all of those wonderful things. Father, we want to grow. And so we pray that you would help us to continue where we started, to continue in Christ, not moving elsewhere, not shifting into other things, but continuing to live our lives in him, rooted and built up in him. And it is in his name that we ask these things. Amen.